Too Can far. that be changed in the settings? No. I don't know. It's just hardwired. Here, let me ask yeah. you something that I would like to change in the settings. <laughs> this is going to be playfully sexist. Does anybody else not trust their GPS when it's a woman's voice? <laughs> I always change mine to uh, Australian or British because I just feel they know where they're going. That that accent definitely inspires confidence. <laughs> yeah, I, I had the GPS turned on recently trying to make it to a hospital, the location of which I, I was uncertain. Mm-hmm. And it was in a place that I was roughly familiar with, but I didn't know how to get you know to a particular part of the hospital. So I, I had the GPS going. Yeah. And my sister-in-law was with me. I, w- I was taking her, her, her husband, my, my brother was sick. And so I was taking her and the baby to, to the ER up in Louisville. And I know how to get around Louisville, but I didn't know how to get to like this one particular hospital in this one particular place in Louisville. And so she was trying to route me onto, onto a toll bridge. She, the GPS? Yeah, the GPS. Yeah, I've spent a lot of money on The, the GPS. GPS. <laughs> and she was trying to route me onto the toll bridge. I'm like, I'm not going on the toll bridge. I'm going on the not toll bridge. Mm-hmm. Why, why do I want to spend and, money? And so she kept on nagging me. Yeah. Like, turn, turn around. Yeah. Turn Make around. Make a U-turn. Right, Make and I said, like, shut up. Listen, toots, I know where I'm going. <laughs> Ish. Ish. Well, I, I, was, I snapped at Jessica the other day because it's like, the thing about it, too, is <coughs> if I'm using, like, Google Maps, I still need to see the blue line to make sure it's coming. Yeah. And so I'll get on to her sometimes because, they think, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, Jessica's a great travel partner. She's always willing to drive as long as, nice. it's, as long as the, it's, like, a straight road and it's not raining there's not heavy traffic. It's comfortable 72 degrees outside. It's not in the city. Or the so mo- you're talking about Oklahoma. Or mountains. Yeah. So basically perfectly West Texas. dry yeah. daylight conditions. Willing to drive. And so I'll tell him, like, well, if you're going to sit over there, you got you have to at least navigate. And so we're trying to get down to the football game. And I was getting on to her. I'm like, hey, like, I have to be able to see it. You know? Like, you can't be over there playing your music. And so I'm, we're getting close. And, like, I'm getting, like, two sets of directions. I'm like, what's going on here? And I'm like, do you have two two going she's like how could that be and she had google maps and then the regular apple maps going at the same time they do not oh they they don't agree try to (laughs) not compatible (laughs) i'm like you're sabotaging this you like you gotta navigate ways because it tells you if there's speed traps wrecks (laughs) oh yeah so the only thing worse the only thing worse than than one woman you give directions is three oh Welcome to Deutero Cannons. I'm Byron, and with me, as always, is Justin. Party on, Justin. Party on, Byron. And we also have with us another member of our congregation, Daniel. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Byron. <laughs> Justin. Daniel. Um, and so this is episode 38, 24 for on Apple Podcasts. Um, and regardless of what uh, platform you're on, please like, share, subscribe, comment, and mostly just tell a friend. Please tell a friend. Go ahead. That'd be great. We'll wait. Have you done it yet? Uh, <laughs> now that's the space that we give to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's been brought to my attention, so there's more than one set of parents that might be listening to this. Oh, that's potentially, good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, potentially, potentially Daniel's parents also listen. Yeah. So we have four, four for sure. Okay, shout out to Daniel's parents. I, I don't think I've <laughs> met them. 
but now we have something to. Have we met your parents? I know Stephanie's parents have been here I think my mom has been here once. Yeah. Uh, my stepdad wasn't. He was working yeah. wherever they're RVing at. Yeah. I, I did remember that about them, yeah. that they're RVers. Full time. Well, if Hey, they, so am I now, it turns out. And if they're amongst <laughs> the people that are trying to uh, watch digital worship, I guess, again, I'll, I'll apologize for how that's been going lately because the internet just isn't what it should be out here. So I don't know. Until they, until they make it better, there's not too much we can do other than crudely recording it on my phone we live don't, we don't got much of them internets around here the interwebs and then, and then yeah. posting it later posting a better product later yeah so just check the site it'll be better later so i mean i, I don't know I, I know there's people who want to experience it live i i understand that but i, I kind of feel like that's the best way to go because we're putting a pretty high quality recording up after service so gotta get some lunch first but then it's going up. that's right and i mean i, I get it like people probably want to do church at church time yeah, you know what you could do is uh, post. Oh, why don't you tell me, Justin? You looking for a job? <laughs> Not particularly. Okay. <clears throat> well, no, I, I was just going to suggest something that would maybe be easier on you. Yeah. Is to to post them maybe a week late, like actually post on oh. like the following Sunday morning. Yeah. They probably wouldn't know, right? Right. Or they will. I mean, they just need to have some right, church. Right, but, but it's like just posted at church time. All right, right. I, I take my snappiness back. That's a pretty good idea. Well, right. thank you. I mean, you don't have to. Okay. I mean, it's still a new sermon to them. Exactly, right? I'm down. Now, you know, if we're talking current events, they might be a week old, but, eh, you know, whatever. If they're watching on there, they're probably not here anyway. You can't please everybody. Now, this is the much long-awaited sequel to, the, uh, I mean, I guess it's the first sequel I've ever done. First one ever. Yeah. I know people have been home, just been waiting with bated breath for part two. Of I have. There's something about work. There is something about it. I have to do it every day, and I don't like it. Well, that's not going to go well for you tonight, then, Daniel. <laughs> so, picking up where we left off, we set last, last time we talked at length about work. We started in the Old Testament. We talked about kind of the role of work uh, as it pertains to mankind, both before and after the fall. And what else did we talk about? Because we only got through about a page and a half of, of notes. We talked about uh, how work work changed after the fall. Um, we talked about how that might relate to how, how uh, work is uh, basically how the Old Testament uh, points to if should one not work, they might not eat, which is also reflected in the New Testament. I guess I should back up a little bit too because this whole thing started off. I talked about Mike. Mike Rose sweat pledge from Dirty Jobs and the idea of, I do not follow my passion, I bring it with me. I believe that any job can be done with passion and enthusiasm. I believe that to be biblical, and I think you'll see why later. Uh, we kind of contrasted that with a very angsty punk rock song, some lyrics that talk about uh, refusing to sacrifice aspirations for income and security. Uh, I don't know. Is that a good enough review? Is that I would up? really like to, to hear a uh, like a Paul Harvey the rest of the story about the writer of that particular punk rock song. Yeah. Because I'll bet the dude <clears throat> is like neck deep in narrative. Yeah. Like prevailing political narrative at this point. Right. And is pretty well sold out to a lot of corporations. Probably like well-to-do suburban kid who probably didn't have it all that bad. Right. <laughs> they make, only had Beamers. They didn't have Mercedes. Just making... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just make some assumptions. Right. But, but I'll bet that now that person is swallowing whatever it is that the corporate machine is spitting out sold out to the man now the exactly. other the other thing that i promised to do was uh correct myself on the excuse me 
the the scripture that I was searching for, and honestly, I touched on it last week, but I didn't read it far enough. So uh, one of the points I made, as you'll recall, is that um, I think that there's a responsibility. We have a responsibility to pull our own weight. Or let me let me do this the other way. We as Christians, or maybe just as humans generally, need to help people bear burdens, but we also have a responsibility to pull our own weight. Uh, point being that uh, you the the weight that you should be expected to pull should not become a burden for other people. Maybe it's what I, the point I was making, or at least every effort should be made <clears throat> for that to not be the case, right? Because like the times will come. It's sort of like the boy who cried wolf. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't cry wolf unless there's really a wolf, right? So you you get help when you need it, but you don't act like you need it when you don't. And and certainly maybe like the the normal load that people can carry varies from one person to the other. Sure. Mm-hmm. But I mean, some of this I think comes back to this is something I asked a a person I was having a conversation recently when, it, when we were talking about uh, you know, I was talking about unskilled labor and how that's not supposed to be a living wage and all this other stuff and. You know, it, he he's telling me like, well, this isn't gonna. We're not gonna talk about that. Those people need to be able to eat and have a place to live. And and what I asked him is like, how far does my responsibility, like how how far does my responsibility to ensure that they eat extend? Mm-hmm. You know, because particularly being in the military, you come from somewhere where, as ha- having pay grades, like I know what other E sevens make, or E eights. Or whatever I am, because I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I know. Right. Name, rank, serial number. You know, like, so if I'm an E7, I know what another E7 makes. And so if he's not doing well financially, and I am, like, this Who's is something. Is that? Th- exactly. This is something I've experienced. It's like, man, like, how does he have such an expensive car? Like, I know what he makes, you know? And turns out, like, I know people who are just really, like, drastically in debt. Mm-hmm. And so any like when you think about this whole idea of like universal basic income and stuff, this is the point I was having to this. The person I was talking to is like any amount of money can be squandered. Right. So, Absolutely. I mean, lottery winners are broke. Right. Oh, I need to buy. You don't need to buy nothing. Right. Calm down. Um, and I mean, I think there's a lot to that. Anyway, so Gal- Galatians six is where I got this from. And this may not be the best interpretation of it as I've, I've reread it. Uh, six starting, I'll start in one and it's going to go through, uh, six. So it says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted, carry each other's burdens. And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So that's, that's where I got that first idea of carrying somebody's burden. If anyone thinks they are, are something when they are not. They deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. A quick side note. Yeah. <clears throat> so does you, could you read your uh, verse, I guess, 4? Mm-hmm. Yeah, read read four and five again. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. It says each one should carry their own load? That's what it says in mine. Yes. What's yours say? Man, that's, that's linguistic theft. How so? Because one is singular and there is plural. Mm-hmm. So it's a disagreement in pronoun number. Okay. So it, when when you have the singular one, you're supposed to also have you know singular pronouns referring to it. Mm-hmm. 
so his oh. or or her but we see how like the original text would have likely said his is. like i've got the niv 1984 yeah. i mean not that this is a perfect translation or, or anything right but it would have said his not meaning exclusively males but meaning like man so i mean like, like maybe uh some wokeness is in uh crept into zondervan right so so what what we have is yeah that that's that's exactly it we have yeah they them their being used mm-hmm. as singular like a gender neutral new, pronoun. gender neutral pronouns yeah and that's pronouns are important justin i exactly they they are they are important well okay all of the, all of the wokeness aside i guess can you see where i'm maybe deriving this point from and like how far off am i cuz i i feel like maybe that second part for each one should carry their own load the context of that is each one should test their own actions then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves like well i don't know i mean i don't know that it's all that far off cuz i i have a note here it says what does it say? Carry their own load. The four at the beginning of the verse connects it with verse four. Each of us is responsible for God. The reference may be to the to the future judgment. Uh, the Greek verb is in the future judgment. When every Christian will give an account to God. So I don't know if that's some... I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, you're right. People are supposed to carry their loads. I mean, because... I mean, this this is also kind of saying like you are also you're responsible for your own actions. You're accountable for your own right. What you've done, what you didn't do. Yeah. And and so I, so again, I I guess I I I want to say that this still applies because again, this has been part of the argument I've had before with other people where it's like these folks that find themselves on hard times. Again, I'm not saying that people don't. Man, we've had all these tornadoes that hit hit us recently. Those are people that have a burden that need to be helped right now. Right? Yeah. Great. But then we have a lot of folks in our society who find themselves in a place. And I, I just keep asking to what degree does their choices, uh, account for that, mm-hmm. you know? And man, like I'm not saying that they need to be punished or something, right? Like it's okay to make poor choices. <laughs> like, who hasn't? Well, right. Yeah. Exactly. In fact, it's like, you know, and, and it's not against the law, right? Uh, in most cases, but that doesn't mean there aren't still consequences. Um, I don't know. I'm probably beating a dead horse here because we need yeah. to move on. Well, the, I think that there are so many analogies and so many scriptures that come to mind on, on this issue for me. Uh, take the example of a of an injured limb, an ankle, let's say. Mm-hmm. So if you if you you know uh, you get your foot down in a hole, you just mangle that sucker real good, and you know you have a, a really severe sprain. Now, whether it requires surgery or not is kind of beside the point. You're going to probably be in a boot for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But could you imagine if, because of your injured ankle, you just sat around because it hurt so bad, mm-hmm. and you never, you never got up anymore? Yeah. Or even if you, uh, well, I'm I'm kind of speaking from experience because I had a really catastrophic ankle ankle injury mm-hmm. before I was married, and I never slam dunked again. It was kind of a bad situation. Um, Is that a joke? <laughs> no, it's not a joke. I used to dunk. Okay, cool. Yeah, it was. I mean, I thought it, it was fun. It's a yeah. price goal, but it worked. <laughs> it was a big goal, Daniel, okay? It was a big boy goal. <clears throat> it was all 10 feet. Anyway, um, 
You just wanted everybody to know that you dunked. Keep going. Well, what I mean, you know, you just wouldn't anyway. He's like, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hello. I I used to I used to be athletic. You still are. Keep, okay, continue. Okay, kind of. Um, so w- what I found is uh, so let's say that somebody just okay, my ankle hurts, so I'm not going to move around anymore. Mm-hmm. So not only is that person going to have an ankle problem that isn't going to go away, yeah. that person is going to have more problems that are compounded because of that lack of movement. Mm-hmm. But then even somebody who, so, you know, that's, okay, so that's that's a problem. And you could see where, you know, the ankle wouldn't be, like, the fact that I had a, a messed up ankle wasn't my fault per se. I mean, like, I was I was playing basketball and it happened, so I put myself in that situation. I took the risk. But it, it's just an accident. It's not my fault. Yeah. But then I could have made choices. Like, at that point that the problem happens, I can make choices that go in the direction of health or I can make choices that go in the direction of further uh, ill health. Yeah. And so I took the, I tried to take the healthy route, but what I found, and and, you know, I got a boot and so I was like, you know, moving around and I had like exercises that I was doing, like right from the get go, I was trying to do physical therapy and like I was icing and you know, all sorts of stuff. But like, I couldn't, I couldn't, I mean, it was, it was awful. Mm -hmm. But then even when I got to the point where like when I could take that boot off, like my muscles had atrophied in that leg. And I couldn't like walk like I used to for a number of weeks. But you know, like all of that is understandable. And like I had some limitations for a time, even though I was pursuing, you know, like the the right path to, to getting better. I don't know. Does that, does that seem kind of analogous? No, that's actually, I was trying to find a name real quick. So <clears throat> I've heard that exact analogy before by a guy named Coleman Hughes. And I think he was quoting somebody else, but he's, He's a, uh, an African-American who, who comments on kind of the, some of the wokeness and stuff that's going on right now. And so one of the things he says when it, as it pertains to, like, the, <clears throat> the, the plight of African-Americans is, like, you can, probably, you can probably say that some of the things that we have going on in society are the fault of the white man, right? Like, if you look – no, not probably. Like, if you go back to slavery and Jim Crow and all that, right? So even though it might be white man, the white man's fault, uh, like – at least to an extent, it's it, black folks are the ones that have to to fix it, and so it's kind of the same mm-hmm. thing. The thing he'll say is like, like somebody can hit you with their a car, and it's their fault, and you can sit there and be upset that mm-hmm. they hit you with their car, and, and you can even be compensated financially, I suppose, in that yeah. situation. But ultimately, like, like the the work that needs to be done in order to heal, like you it's have to you. do that, you mm-hmm. know. And I think even with your analogy, like what it reminds me is physical therapy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like if if you have an injury or even just you have surgery like you have to do physical therapy and uh man like you hear people that have, have done it before talk about it like they they hate it and they hate their mm-hmm. physical therapist for making them do the things that they're doing but like they need to do it and mm-hmm. so it's almost like what you need to do is going to hurt and it's going to hurt more than you you would be willing to hurt yourself so you need somebody to make you hurt yourself more mm-hmm. Does, if that makes sense well really that's that's every just about every coaching situation. Yeah. Because I, I wouldn't have ever run wind sprints and suicides and backward suicides yeah. and sprints that turn into suicides and then, you know, just all all manner of crazy. And, and you've done, probably both of you all have done even more stuff than, than I have. Although I will say my pitching coach, my junior year of college, thought 
that the pitching staff was the special forces of the baseball team. <laughs> and so he tried to like implement like he had like a Navy SEAL workout book. Yeah. Which it's probably fake. It's probably like not even <laughs> real. But like like we would anyway, you all have done way worse than I have. But like the like the and I mean with the the experiences that you all have had like like leading trainings. Yeah. Like well, th- that that's sort of, that's sort of how it goes. You have to have somebody kicking your butt. Well, there sometimes. is there is something to be said for be, having somebody who can be there and and like uh, experience it with you and be like, man, is this too much? Yeah. But then also sometimes there's something to be said for have having somebody directing you to do things who's not feeling the anxiety because uh, the pain you're in is going to make it hard for you to understand how important the thing you're doing might be mm-hmm. at times. You know. So bringing this back around to. Uh, Galatians and and bearing burdens it, it's like people have burdens mm-hmm. and others should help but that doesn't that doesn't absolve one of personal responsibility yeah exactly I mean now the scriptures don't say Jesus helps those who help themselves it doesn't uh, say that. yeah but it does say uh, uh, like if a man does not work neither shall he eat right so and but again and this is like the balance I'm always talking about. It does say we need to help each other with help people with their burdens, right? But again, to your point, it does not absolve you of personal responsibility to up to and including, I would say, back to getting us back on topic, the necessity <laughs> to work. All right. So when we, we last talked that the, we kind of left, we were talking about this book here, The Bronze Bow. I talked a little bit, I give a brief synopsis of kind of the, the idea behind the story. Again, three kids, kind of part of the zealot movement. And then it's two kids that are brother and sister, and then this this other kid, Daniel. And they're kind of coming from different socioeconomic backgrounds. Daniel, he's the blacksmith, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the uh, brother of the two, which I, for, I remember the Malface is the name of the girl, Joel, training to be a rabbi. And so where we left off, we were discussing how both of these young men are required to learn a trade um, to include the guy who's basically studying to become a rabbi, potentially. And so where we kind of left off is, why is that? And, and I kind of uh, posited, is that the right word? That it might, You posited. I posited that that might be because there's just something about work. There's just something about work. Right. So so, so the rabbi the, the rabbi is, is going to be expected to to have a trade or at least be trained in a trade right so that he can support himself so that he's not just freeloading off of the the locals correct or the community yeah i mean and let's get into that before i got some stuff here that talks a little bit about like jewish education okay um however what i mean is there any part of this where it's maybe like a like a backstop you think like he's gonna learn a trade in case this rabbi thing doesn't make work out. Yeah, you know that that's interesting. I I I wonder, I wonder about that. Like I wonder if it's like a a plan B or like a contingency plan. I mean, of course it it can it can be that. Mm-hmm. But I also wonder if if it's the idea that like the rabbi needs to actually be able to provide for himself. And I mean, like you know, what if what if the rabbi's in a poor community? Yeah, and. All and everybody around is poor. I mean, you can't just expect to live off of everyone else, and so maybe like, you kind of have to pull your own weight. So maybe like he's a tent maker or something. Well, yeah, that that's what I was thinking. Like yeah. it, it made me think of Paul. Right. Okay. Um. 
I actually I, I want to read a little bit more from the book here to give you a little bit more kind of uh, uh, I don't I don't know it's a great book and there's some other other interesting yeah some other interesting parts of the book. Hey, you get it on audiobook. You you could Did get you it on audiobook. I've, I've not actually, read that book, but I've read another one by that same writer. I have listened to this one on audiobook. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so later in the book, Daniel brings uh, his friend up to the mountains. The friend is Simon. I believe it's supposed to be Simon the Zealot, so one of the one of the apostles. And what he ends up doing is he asks Simon. Simon asks Daniel to over to take care of his his uh, actually blacksmith shop, which we'll get to in a second. So this is from when they're up in the mountains with Simon. It says the blindfold removed. Simon looked over Daniel over with a twinkle of amusement. The boy was taller than he. He's grown. That's certain. He allowed. I wouldn't have expected so much. That's from the forge, said Daniel, flattered. Did Joel, Joel tell you I've kept up my trade? I'll show you. And so further down the page it says, Proudly Daniel showed Simon his forge. He knew he had reason to be proud of it, but it was gratifying to see Simon's surprise. He had discovered in his first year on the mountain patches where the soil was rusty with iron. Gradually he had learned to smelt it, constructing an oven against a rocky wall, lining it with clay, and devising a primitive sort of bellows from a pair of goat skins. Did we already read this? We did. Okay, I'm going to skip that. I didn't. Because we talked. Daniel hadn't. Um, so, so, th- so this kid like built his own forge. Yeah. So, so Daniel is in a situation where he ends up having to come down into the village to care for his his mother dies, and so he has to care for his sister. And while he's down there, Simon basically Simon's going off to to follow Jesus, and so he asks Daniel to, to take care of his shop for him. And so it says here, the moment the shop door was opened, villagers appeared with work they had saved for Simon's return. They watched the strange young blacksmith with suspicion, waiting to see what he could do. Daniel took up the challenge. He could not deny that it was a satisfaction to step every morning into Simon's tidy shop, stocked with bars of iron and hung with rows of, strong, hung with rows of tongs and chisels and hammers. For five years, Dan had smelted his own ore and fashioned it with clumsy makeshift tools. He had never realized that he was learning to make up in skill he was learning to make up and skill what he lacked in equipment. Hmm. After a little practice, he discovered that he could make Simon's tools do just what he wanted them to do. The work he turned out was true and light and strong. Word went around that the new smith was a good worker for all his fierce, unapproachable scowl. With money in his pocket for the first time in his life, he was able to buy meat from the butcher and round flat loaves of barley bread from the baker. He did not eat as well as he had on the mountain where the meat from the farmer's flocks had been free for the plundering, but he suspected that Leah had never known such plenty. That's his sister. So, I don't know. I have a couple thoughts on this, but what what do you think about of that passage? Like, what does that maybe say to us about work? Well, sometimes when when, when I'm working on on stuff, you know, I've got power tools, <clears throat> you know, pr- like pretty decent stuff, and and it still takes me a while to get to get something accomplished. And sometimes I do think about the fact that, you know, if I didn't have this tool, I would have to have a whole lot more skill than what I actually have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, like it takes me a while, like it takes some figuring out, but you know, the, this, this relatively simple things that I do, like I built a, uh, like a goat stable, like a, like an eight by 12 goat stable, like, like a shed basically like a, a pole, a pole frame shed. And you know, like I'd never done anything that big before, but you know, as I was putting it together, I'm like, you know, I'm just like running these screws into the boards and, you know, just making sure stuff is level. Yeah. You know, like this is, this is not that hard, mm-hmm. but if I had to, 
if I had to cut this wood myself, if I had to mill this wood mm-hmm. myself, if I had to, uh, I mean, if it were a harder wood and it were, and it, and like all I had was hammer and nails or what if I don't have hammer and nails and I have to figure out how to join this, mm-hmm. you know? So, so like that, that passage really resonates with me. Like, like when a person doesn't have as sophisticated of a tool, then that person's art grows. Like the word art, art means the skill mm. possessed by the artisan. Like mm-hmm. art is not the thing that's produced. I think the the, the art is the, is the is the skill that's developed within that's expressed in the work. Well, let me ask you this, and I, I, this is probably a good question for you, Daniel. Like mm-hmm. you, you got three boys, right? Oh, yes. Um, you get the, you get them you get them to do work with you. Sometimes, well, at least two of them. Yeah. How how do they how do they typically respond to that? Uh, well, if it was their idea and they want to do it, mm-hmm. <clears throat> then they're all about it. Yeah. But, you know, I'm like, okay, guys, we got to clean the garage. You know, they first start out, and then one of them trickles away, and then you see the other one out in the cul-de-sac <laughs> yeah. riding a scooter. Yeah. And then well, the that's why you break the scooter. I spent a lot of time policing kids up myself. It's like <laughs> it's just easier. I'm, I'm just like I just do it myself. How fine. come I'm the only one here working now? All of a sudden, mm-hmm. yeah. So I've had a couple situations with my kids recently, and, it, and it's it's refreshing because I remember having this one with my dad. He had me up in the attic one time. I was like, "Come on, boy, we're gonna go. You know, put some flooring in the attic." And so we're up there laying plywood down and I'm crawling all over. like, so initially I complained about it and then eventually it's like, I'm kind of having a good time with this. Mm-hmm. Cause like he was letting me drive nails and work, you know? Right. And so, uh, at one point I think I might've said to him like, this is actually pretty fun. He's like, yeah, I could tell you were enjoying it. <laughs> and so a couple weeks back, I mean, it's been a couple months now. So, so now each of them, uh, whenever I ch- change the oil, they kind mm-hmm. of fight over it. Like who gets to help? Yeah. And so I had Emmett under the car the first time that I did it with him. And like the whole time I kind of coaxed him along, I'm like, come on, get under here. Nope. Here, grab, figure out, a, find a socket that fits on there. You know, kind of step, step by step through it. And he, there's a little bit of like, when am I going to be like, can I go? And as soon as he cracked, cracked that oil plug loose and started, I, so he starts unscrewing it with his fingers. I'm like, okay, now hang on to that thing because mm-hmm. the oil's going to squirt out and you're going to get some on your hands. But once you once you get it out, hold on to it. Don't drop it in the pan. And then you got to go fishing for it. Right, right. <laughs> Hang on to that, and then come over here, and I'll, I'll we'll put it in the paper towel. And as soon as he got that oil on his hands, and 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 like I was wiping his hand off and not yelling at him for getting messy, he was like, "This is cool." Right. <laughs> you know. And you learned a life lesson. Well, exactly. And so I think I think this paragraph here speaks a little bit to that where, like, I think we all know. There's just something like again. There's something about work that, yeah. like, gives you, like, like it makes you feel like you're like you're doing something you important. You accomplish something, you know. In fact, I'll tell you when I watch. You know, I mean, you've done plenty of army training, so you've mm-hmm. done plenty of larping, right? Oh yeah, right. Going down and fighting the plywoodians at you know JRTC <laughs> or something. <laughs> but uh, you know, I you always see see even these grown men where once once the mission starts and we're running around and it like. We all act like a bunch of teenagers. We do, because it's what? Fun. Because it, it's fun because like we know what we're doing matters, right? You know, and I think I think there's there's some of that too where I don't know, like like when you're banging away on metal, like you know it matters. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Does that well, fall yeah. flat? Yeah. Yeah. So, man, this this might be it might be too much of a rabbit trail. Run it. 
Okay, so there's something about work. So we know there's something about work, and and we're trying to arrive at what that what that something is. Like like why is there satisfaction there? Why is there satisfaction in accomplishing the mission? Why is there like why is there satisfaction in in fashioning you know the the, the piece of metal? I mean, with this blacksmith, it's, it's like a gate hinge, you know, for mm, most yeah. part. Like it's not even or a horseshoe. Like like that's kind of you in there. Well, well yeah, like yeah. a lot of blacksmiths, they like you. You think of like Pirates of the Caribbean, like they've got uh, Orlando Bloom's character making swords, mm-hmm. but they call him a blacksmith. He's like, no, blacksmiths didn't make swords. Swordsmiths made swords. Yeah, you know, and the swordsmith might have only made the blade. You might have gone somewhere else. Makes the heel. Exactly right. Like the blacksmith, I I went to um, uh, historic Jamestown. Jamestown. Yeah. Well, Williamsburg. Well, it's Williamsburg, but they're right next to each other. Yeah. And the blacksmith there, like that's kind of what he said. Is like we're kind. The blacksmith is kind of a like a jack of all trades. Yeah, jack of all trades. Yeah. Like we can make nails, although we're probably gonna have a nailsmith make nails. Right. But usually, what they're they are is like repairmen, Mm -hmm. right? Like they're gonna make a hinge if you broke a hinge or or whatever. Right. Um, all all that to say, I, I interrupted you, Justin. Yeah, that, that's okay. I'm timer went off for uh for my mom. I'm okay. <laughs> following up, following up. So yeah. I I guess uh, I think maybe this is part of where you're going with this though. When you talk about art, you know, I, I, you'll recall again. This is called the bronze bow. It comes from a passage in. Oh, I gotta turn my thing back over. I think it's Proverbs. 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 Yeah. Trains my hands of war such that I can I can bend a bow of bronze. It says one sultry afternoon when the work was slack, he, that's Daniel, picked up from the floor a bit of bronze which had dropped from a molten mass. Seeing its dull shine between his fingers, he had an idea. He heated it carefully, pulled it from the fire and with the smallest tongs, and tapped it gently with Simon's finest hammer. With several tries, he achieved a stroke delicate enough so that he could he would not flatten the f- small lump, and pre- and presently he managed to beat out a fine wire. He heated it again and twisted it between his fingers and watched it slowly take the shape of a tiny slender bow, no longer than his little finger. For a moment, he stared at it with pleasure. Then he had a further inspiration. He rolled out and sharpened a slender bronze pin, which he could pass down like an arrow between the bow and the fine wire of its string, so that the bow became a brooch, such as he had seen in the city folk wear to fasten their cloaks. <laughs> then he hid his experiment away, half ashamed of it and half proud. He would keep it to remind him of his purpose. He trains my hands for war so that my arms may bend above bronze. He thought again of Jesus and his hopes flared anew. Surely this man, like David of old, had the strength of God in him. If he willed, he could bend the bow of bronze. But but was Jesus training his hands for war? Daniel was not sure. He must go back again and not, at that night to the Garden of Bethsaida. For Daniel, the month of Ab... Okay, I'm reading too much now. So the idea here, though, is like... So he he goes from this crude like working in the hills, handmade tools, smelting his own iron to man having the right tools and not having to smelt my own iron, like division of labor and all that mm-hmm. stuff. <clears throat> like like not only like wow, I'm a lot better th- at this than I thought I was, and it's almost pretty enjoyable to this transition to it being art, even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I like I think that's interesting. I don't know what's there, but I feel like there's something there. I don't know if you if you were trying to speak to anything like that a second ago before. I yeah, no, I I think you're right. I think that that's that's what happens and that's what's meant to happen. And I I think that what you're talking about, like the progression from I you know it's it's the progression from no skill to rudimentary skill 
to proficient skill to a skill that's so refined that it's it's recognized as as like the skill what the skill produces is something beautiful yeah you know not simply something that has utility although utility is important mm-hmm. but it like it has it has function and it has form mm-hmm. so then the question becomes well why is that something that we recognize as being good yeah and i've got i've got two ideas idea number 1 and this is pertaining to work mm-hmm. like so why is there something about work uh, maybe i should save this for the end but it might take some time for us to to discuss or maybe it'll kind of dovetail with other things that you have the reason that there's something about work is that we're made to work yeah like you go back to the beginning going back to genesis it's not that like work is not a curse mm-hmm. it's not a part of it's not the curse of the fall right the curse is frustrated work right the work is i mean the, the, the curse is that the work is going to be contradicted and counteracted and we are going to grow tired in the the doing mm-hmm. of it so that's that's number one so that's i think that's what there is about work we're made to do it number two like why is it that we recognize that there's something really good about skill that's so refined that the production is beautiful yeah it's because god looked at his creation and said that it's good oh yeah and we're, and we're operating as sub creators yeah mm-hmm. you know like like we are it like when we so there's a word for this um there, there's a word for the uh, for thinking about and studying the purpose of a thing. Mm-hmm. It's called teleology. Right. So if we're to speak te- teleologically, we are talking about, okay, so we have this thing. What purpose brought it here? Yeah. You know, it's kind of the study of maybe uh, not cause and effect, but purpose and cause and effect. Mm-hmm. Or or how like cause and effect are nested within like a, a like a larger purpose. Yeah. And so when we're working and when we're making something so well that it looks good, we are, we are connected with, like, like we feel the connection with God because that, that's who he is. Mm-hmm. He worked, he made beautiful things. And so then we, when we work and when we make beautiful things, even though they are simply uh, operating within the world that he already created, mm-hmm. it's, it's this engaging with what he's created and with who he is as creator, and there's enormous satisfaction in that. Well, let me ask you, th- you guys this then, because you know we started with the micro thing. I do not follow my passion. I bring it with me. I believe that any job can be done with passion and enthusiasm. So what's, what, how does passion play into what we just read? <clears throat> because I guess what, what, one of the things I left out is you know, it talks in the book about when he was an apprentice and getting beat by his master. And like, I'm guessing he's probably like, the average teenager who didn't want to be a blacksmith wasn't quite feeling it then. Yeah, I think you know if you're passionate about something, you're gonna put more effort and energy into it. Um, you know, like you said, you know, somebody's being forced to do it. You know, they may not appreciate it then. You know, but once they have the skill and you know they actually enjoy doing it, I think you know you have a more sense of purpose from doing it. Well, see, and I yeah. think part of, you kind of touched on maybe what, what I was thinking there is this, like does does he at some point discover he has a passion for being a blacksmith perhaps? Right. Yeah. Probably. So, so, so the passion, um, so we shouldn't be surprised when we find that the world has things upside down. Yeah. <clears throat> and I've probably told you the story before about this, uh, this little story in a movie called Parisia Tim. It's this French film. 
just these little scenes from all over Paris, and one of them is of a guy who's cheating on his wife, and he's about to leave her. Yeah, you told us that for one. this other woman. Yep. And in case Daniel hasn't heard it before, like he goes in to tell his wife, "Hey, like we're, we're done." We're done. And but his wife is like sitting on the couch and she's crying. He's like, and before he can say anything about the mistress, she's like, "I have cancer, like terminal cancer." And so he's like, "Okay, well, I guess I'm not going to tell you about the mistress." And what he decides is that he's going to make her final days because she doesn't have many. He's going to make her final days as happy as possible. And so he cuts it off with the mistress. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then you see them uh, like just going out on dates basically you know eating together walking together talking and laughing but he didn't love her like absolutely no feelings but it, but then the narrator there's a voiceover and it says by acting like a man in love he became a man in love mm-hmm. so we usually think that that the feeling or the passion has to come first and that that the feeling and the passion produces the the actions when it's oftentimes the other way around yeah like right feeling good feeling is the product of good action mm-hmm. rather than the the other way around. Like I've told people this before, like if you're waiting around to forgive somebody until you feel like it, you probably never happen. will. Yeah. Well, I, I, some of that, what that reminds me of is I, you know, I'll, I'll talk with soldiers when, you know, they're, they're wanting to get out. I've talked to some, actually, <laughs> I talked to some Marines one time, <laughs> which I was kind of like, yeah, man, if you, you want to get it, huh? Did you bring crayons? Yeah. And they, <laughs> they scarfed them right down. No. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, yeah you know it, with those guys those like you know if you guys want to get out of the marine corps and come over to our side that's cool man but you know i was talking like so what what is your your gripe you know and the, they start talking i tell these guys like man i don't think you hate the marine corps or all time like it doesn't sound like you hate the army it just sounds like you hate being in private but guess what you're the only one who can get you out of that yeah like you're not gonna be a private forever no. you know like you know it's like and with those guys in particular we were on a deployment it's like you're thinking about life back at Pendleton or wherever they came from when you were there last. You understand when you go back this time, you're coming off of six months in, in Syria in this case, mm-hmm. like, like people are gonna be looking up to you. Like it's going to be, a di- it. it's going to be a different dynamic. And so, I mean, I think about my own experience in the army where it's like, I, I guess I never really hated it. You know, there are times where it's kind of like, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> but, but what made me love it was, was having responsibility mm-hmm. And and finally and and like, I mean just me discovering like the passion and like like oh like I I need to do a good job here because this matters you know and I'm good at it. and it's I, I mean I guess to your point like deciding deciding that this matters you know not somehow thinking the army is going to bring me fulfillment I, I don't know no if if that's the the idea you're going into with you get out of it what you put into it right yeah <clears throat> and sometimes yeah. they just put you out because you're hurt and they paid you a lot of money to fix you and then they send you <laughs> on your merry way but i digress yeah so the thing that mike Rowe is saying about you don't follow your passion you take your passion with you mm-hmm. so just for the sake of argument let's say that somebody says well i don't have any passion for anything that doesn't get that person off the hook right I mean, so let's say, you know, you that a person legitimately feels no passion or no no draw in any one particular area doesn't really, it's like work, okay, like, I, I don't really care. Well, sh- maybe, yeah, I think, or uh, being a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> we can say that because we are millennials. Right. I, I'm, I'm on that line now, I'm just, I'm just. I'm but the beauty, the of be, beauty of being a millennial is you don't have to identify as one. So you're intersectional. <laughs> 
I, f- I feel a certain type of way about that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel confused. All right, come on. <laughs> Moving on. Moving yeah. on. Oh, so like, so that, that the la- a lack of passion doesn't get one off the hook. Uh, there's a book, and I, I read part of this. I didn't read the whole book. It's called Just Do Something. Okay. I know that saying. I say it all the time to someone who lives in my house. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's it's like a, a like a Christian book for, I guess, young men in their, you know, late teens. Where can or I get a copy tw- of this at? Well, I mean, I think you can, like, don't Google it because Google hates you. We just talked about but not bearing, you know, is this a burden we need to bear? You can figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> just do something. Just, just do something. Yeah, that's the name of the book. It, it's like, Look well, like, just do, as long as it's not, like. Something nefarious. Yeah, immoral. or illegal well okay just try something and see see where it where it goes i mean the scriptures say whatever you do in word and deed do it all in the name of the lord jesus it says that and then it also says um you know do your work as heartily as unto the lord Mm -hmm. man that's one of the passages we're going to get to oh sorry because i think that's kind of that's kind of why i think what mike rowe is saying is biblical Right, right. It's like work. It, it, the, the old AVB song. I don't know if you remember AVB, acapella vocal band. I've heard of them. Working it with all of your heart, because it's working for the Lord and not for men. Like the idea that you like you need to do a good job, and it's not it's not because of how you feel about it. It's because you're working for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, which is jumping ahead, but that's fine because I have a feeling we're gonna be going into a part three, maybe a four. What? Well, we're we're like four. We're not moving very fast, which is fine. <laughs> so I want to do real quick is talk a little bit about um, maybe Jewish education. And a lot of this is, again, going back to our other character, Joel. So Joel is a young man who looks to be on the track to being a rabbi. And again, what we thought was significant about that is that he's also expected to earn, learn a trade. In his case, it was being a sandal maker. So I have this article, and I, I'm not going to obviously read the whole thing, um, but it talks about um, kind of like education and and jewish times and i think the first sentence in here is pretty interesting because you'll hear a lot of people that talk about um it's almost like they think the disciples were like what's so impressive about them is how dumb they were and jesus picked them like but they weren't they weren't dumb like we know that when they're before the sanhedrin it was that was exceptional because they were uneducated as as you know religious leaders right you might say they didn't have like higher education like they weren't academics yeah but there's a difference between being an academic and being a smart person exactly well and I, I had somebody you know we were watching something last week actually it was that the chosen thing oh yeah and one of the things they they referred to mary and joseph as these two peasants and it's like uh do we know that they were peasants joseph was a carpenter right the reason they in they wound up in a cave wasn't because they were indigent it's because there was no room right right and so it says here, the people of Galilee were the most religious Jews in the world in the time of Jesus. This is quite contrary. Oh, I, did, I didn't know that. This is quite contrary to the common view that Galileans were simple, uneducated peasants from an isolated area. So uh, that's based off this article that I found. It's called "That the World May Know." Rabbi and Talmudim. Where's this from? Yeah, "That the World May Know" is the website. Um, for what that matters. Um, anyway, so. This is going to talk a little bit about the education. It says, Most scholars believe that both boys and girls attended the class in the synagogue. The teaching focused primarily on the Torah, emphasizing both reading and writing scripture. Large portions were memorized, and it is likely that many students knew the entire Torah by memory by the time this level of education was finished. Wow. At this point, most students, and certainly the girls, stayed at home to help with the family, and in the case of the boys, to learn the family trade. 
excuse me, that pizza is catching up with me here. <laughs> it is at this point that a boy would participate in his first Passover in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, a ceremony that probably forms the background of today's bar mitzvah in Orthodox Jewish families. Jesus' excellent questions for the teachers in the temple at his first Passover indicate that the study he had done. Excuse me. So that's kind of like maybe the education common to all up until a certain point, right? Mm-hmm. The best students continued their study while learning a trade in Beth Midrash Secondary School, also taught by a rabbi of the community. Beth Mid- Midrash. Yep. So I've heard of the Midrash. I, I don't remember what it what it means, but the, but the Midrash would be like a commentary on Torah. Mm-hmm. I think th- th- I think that maybe there are stories that show up that kind of try to connect some of the dots mm-hmm. in the Midrash, maybe. And then Beth means house. I say so, Beth means house of. Right, right. so ho- house of Midrash or like the place where they learn the Midrash. Right. And so this is a secondary school, I'm guessing, like kind of maybe almost like a middle school <clears throat> age, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Also taught by a rabbi. So here, they, along with the adults in the town, studied the prophets and the writings. In addition to Torah. Oh, okay. Oh, that's that's really, I, I know I'm interrupting you, but that's like, like I'm just like digesting this as yeah. you're saying it. Yep. So it's interesting that they've got... Um, the law, the prophets, and the writings. Yeah. Because, you know, they, they call, what we call the Old Testament, they call the Tanakh. Yep. Mm-hmm. T-N-K. It's just an acronym. Torah is law. Nevi'im is prophets. Ketuvim is the writings. But what's interesting is you got three. Yeah. Like the trivium. Not, yeah, th- not okay. that those three things are exactly the same as the classical Greek trivium, but it's interesting that, that there's three things and that there was... Apparently, a uh, a concerted effort to okay, like everybody's memorizing the I'd law. Say the emphasis mm-hmm. on memorization, and then so once you've memorized the law, then you're ready to study these these other two bodies of of writings. Well, we're gonna circle back to this that you're talking about there too. The idea of the 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 law, the prophets, and the writings, because yeah. that, that's something I want to touch on. Um, but. Okay, so oh man, okay, I, I've got to. Also, I, I'm, also, I'm sorry, I I got to say this, or I'm gonna forget. Um, I. So the, 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 the Pharisees were called the teachers of the law. Mm-hmm. That's like elementary stuff. Right. Oh, that's a good point. So just maybe we can come back to that at some point. Go ahead. I, I'm sorry. Well, it's I've been it's also interesting that it's intergenerational though, right? Because it says yeah. here along with the adults in town, they study the prophets and the writings, right? Mm-hmm. So is it like a never-ending education process? Well, sh- certainly. I mean, I'm yeah. still learning every day. So Yeah. Yeah, but I think it was probably far more intentional, you know, yeah, maybe maybe the way that we you know Catholics have mass every day, yeah. even if even if they don't go to mass, there's mass every day. Right. You know, it's it's constantly available. There, there there's somebody there supplying that 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 service or that that opportunity. For, yeah, and and so, but I mean, maybe think think like a cross between like a church and a library. Right. Well, but and so school. So I guess the other thing that I highlighted specifically <laughs> there though is the best students continue their study. While learning a trade, yeah, mm-hmm. right. So this again, we said that, that middle school age, right? Um, and so we're, let me finish that up. Uh, here, along with the adults in town, they studied the prophets and the writing. In addition to Torah, and began to learn the interpretations of the oral Torah, to learn how to make their own applications and interpretations, much like a catechism class might in some churches today. So the last thing I'm going to read here: a few, very few, in parentheses, of the most outstanding Beth Midrash students sought permission to study with a famous rabbi often leaving home to travel with him for a lengthy period of time. 
these students were called Talmudim in yeah. Hebrew, which is translated disciple. disciples. Um, man, I had something else in here that I did not highlight, but it talks about, because I, I put a note in here, what did I say? Interesting that at 30, Talmudim could teach others. So Right, right, yeah. And that's when Jesus started his ministry. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Talmud, so a Talmud wants to be like the teacher. Where does it say that in here? Well, just trust me that it's in there. <laughs> we trust you. So, so, so basically, it, that portion's more like an, another apprenticeship on top of the the, the, the skill the they trade, learned. Right. Yeah. Now they're following around a a know, rabbi, a, it, a famous or special rabbi. Yeah. Well, it, and like it says well there, known. they they seek permission to study with a rabbi. Right. So, which also I think speaks to why. Jesus calling his disciples may have been significant. I don't know if maybe that if that oh, was yeah, that, that is interesting. Yeah. You know, because he like, chose them, and, right. it, and and that's a difference between Jesus and John, mm-hmm. because John did have disciples, right? But I mean, and maybe he called them, but it seems like the, you know, dudes just out there in the wilderness, and people came to him, and I guess some stayed, yeah, like, hey, with him. <laughs> but 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 then Jesus, yeah. I, I wonder if that that is just that's interesting. There's yeah. something there. So I guess kind of the big takeaways from this again. I mean, I guess all the stuff we talked about, the idea of the memorization, but just the stages of learning and how there's this paring down of to these maybe select few kids that are are uh, who seek to be rabbis and then are then are kind of selected to follow. Uh, or sorry, seek to be Talmudim and, and are selected to follow. But again, there's also this idea where. They learn a trade and I guess maintain it, right? You would think, yeah. And then uh, learn this additional skill of 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 uh, being a rabbi. Um, rabbi them. Interest, interesting, <laughs> interesting that at thirty that they could teach others. So I want to cover some terms here. Um, man, let's make sure I can do this right. So Torah equals the first five books. It's also called the Hama or the Pentateuch, although it seems to be used more broadly as a compilation of both written and oral traditions. So I think a lot of times now people, they, they say Torah, they might be referring to, to both the oral and mm-hmm. the written tradition. Yeah. The Tanakh uh, is the complete written Old Testament, uh, and modern Jews just still call it the Old Testament. Hmm. Re- really? I guess so. Hmm. Jews call it the... Yeah, I, I didn't know that they, that, that they that's would... That's the traditional... I've heard, I've heard Shapiro call it that, I think, yeah. I get Shapiro probably does that just because he knows he's talking to a bunch of Christians. I mean, that could be what it is. Um, the Talmud. So then there's the Talmud, which is a recording of oral tradition. Um, and the Talmud uh, that that postdates Christ. Correct. That postdates tr- Christ a- and and the destruction of the temple. And so, man, I'm trying to understand. It's like my- it's after 70 AD. So you have the Mishnah, which was written law. Then you have the Gomorrah, which was rabbinic discussions. And then you have the Halakha, which is the the law so the talmud you know what let me let me divert real quick with this old testament discussion so here's something i want to point out that i think is interesting um and this is jumping ahead because even though the bible predates the talmud my instinct is that jesus is probably familiar with a lot of these rabbinic teachings because the the talmud is is when it was written down but these conversations because that's when you read the talmud it very much sounds like um so it's lectures and discussions. Like it almost sounds like notes, uh, minutes from mm-hmm. a meeting. Mm-hmm. And so 
Um, well, maybe I won't skip ahead. I'll just kind of follow this. So the tradition remained oral till around the second and third centuries. And then from the third to the sixth century, scholars began recording what had to that point been oral tradition. So these, again, there's these lectures and discussions. And so when you read it, it's like this back and forth between rabbis. Um, and so what's interesting about it is they are exploring points in the law and like some of it seems kind of weird with the stuff you're reading, mm-hmm. but that was like kind of the point. There was nothing too crazy to talk about. Or, and, or to be discussed. And if it made sense, it stuck. And if not, they got rid of it. So it's almost like being able to like say what you want, like to speak freely, if you will. Free speech? Yeah. And <laughs> and if it didn't make sense, it's like, yeah, man, that doesn't make sense. And then you just didn't tell it the next time you told the story. But if you did, but if it did make sense, it's like, you know, that's crazy, but I think you might be on to something. Mm-hmm. Well, what I think happened, though, is that <clears throat> the uh, the other documents became more normative than the scriptures themselves. Uh, you're saying like the Talmud and all yeah. that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not negating that. I'm just. I'm. I'm. I guess maybe trying to um, uh, give a little context for what I'm going to say next. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. The idea here. So then they had. Let's see. The Havruta was your study partner. So I guess like in, not probably Beth Midrash. I think in Beth Midrash, but then certainly the some of the stuff that pre- uh, precedes that you would have a study partner. So a lot of it would be like, it's almost like daily debate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like so the original podcast. So as, a, <laughs> as opposed, so as, a, as opposed to simply learning from the teacher, you would debate your, your peer daily and defend your position, almost like the rhetoric phase in the trivium. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so imagine that a place, iron where sharpens you, iron, right? Imagine that a place where you can engage in speech freely and nothing was off limits and it was beneficial. Sounds, sounds good to me. And then again, so it's kind of like we've talked about it before. You could parse things out, sift through the good and the bad. Um, so I, I guess I will say this, though, to your to your point. I think we kind of tend to be unfairly skeptical of oral tradition. I mean, the Old Testament was oral tradition for, for how long? Yeah. Well, no, I don't, I don't mean that it's I – don't, I don't quite mean that. I just mean that in practice and histor- like historically for Judaism, mm-hmm. I think that – the teachings of the rabbis ended up carrying more weight than the scriptures themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the same thing happened in the church. Okay. That, you know, you can't contradict the Pope, for example. Yeah. And that's why there was a, a reformation. Mm-hmm. But then you couldn't contradict the, re- the reformers. And, and so if, if you, if you talk to people who are um, in those traditions, not that tradition is bad, but sometimes it comes across that you know the the tradition i mean so i mean that's that's just a big question like to what extent does tradition uh i, I don't know just the you you have tradition and then you have what's actually written right. in, in the original documents so like how do we understand the relationship between the two yeah and where they where they harmonize and where they potentially conflict, mm-hmm. and in those matters of conflict, what do we go with? Yeah. So it sounds like that's in Judaism, just like it is in Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I, I agree with that. I guess, um, but it's not downplaying the importance of tradition. Just saying that it can be a, a tricky situation. Well, I guess my point was more like when it comes to oral tradition. I mean, to a certain extent, up to and, and up to a certain point in history, like what was the alternative? You know. Right. Um, I mean, certainly there was a time where things were not widely written down or, I mean, you, you, I mean, you think like Moses wrote the first five books of the old Testament. 
how long before that had that all been oral tradition? Since the beginning. Right. And and I think that, that it's kind of unclear exactly how all that came to be, like to what extent Moses wrote as opposed to what extent Moses compiled. Mm-hmm. Well, well, you right. know, what was what was already there, possibly even already in writing. Mm-hmm. Um, he just put it together. I, I don't know. Fr- from the things that that I know or read or, or have heard, it's it's kind of difficult to to figure out where exactly and when exactly writing sprung up. But I mean, like the memorization of Torah. I mean, would we consider that oral tradition? Well, <clears throat> I mean, that's kind of the passing on of these stories from generation to generation. Because right. cause I, unlike us, every kid didn't own a Bible, right, or have access to it. <clears throat> Right, I don't think that that would be oral tradition. The like because there was an there was actually a source document from which they were memorizing. Mm-hmm. So oral tradition would be something that, by its very nature, would not be written down. And then once it is written down, I mean, okay, so it's it's the oral tradition. But then you can move on, you know, with with the oral tradition having having been written, and then maybe there's more oral tradition mm-hmm. after that. But of course, things would have been. I mean, like Homer, for example. Uh, people like illiterate people memorized, you know, like all of all of the Odyssey or, yeah. or the Iliad. Okay, I just from hearing saying. it over and over. Right, and and yes, it was written down probably during <coughs> the time of Homer, mm-hmm. but um, like it would, it's like, well, how long is it passed down without being written down? Like that's that's I don't know the idea of oral tradition. So you're you're saying that like so prior to Moses writing or compiling the first five the Pentateuch. So maybe up until that point, that was oral tradition. But once it's been written down, now it's just memorization of something that's been written down. Right. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't have its roots in oral tradition. I mean, for all we know, this is going to be an argument from ignorance. So this is a logical fallacy. So you don't have to go along with this. But for, <laughs> <laughs> for, for all we know, Adam started writing. Right. I mean, I wasn't there. <laughs> For all we know, God started writing yeah. and passed it to Adam. And then, you know, and it just worked its way down. And then Moses is like, okay, let, let's kind of put all this together into a book. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying that, that that's the way that it was. But when we say, when we call them the books of Moses, he, that that could be perfectly accurate without him having written every word of it. Mm-hmm. I guess that's all I mean. Okay. And the sources... Pre, that predate Moses yeah. could have also been written. Mm-hmm. We're looking at it on time here. Okay. All right. Well, I think I'll probably just try and wrap it up here for this week. So I guess something that I, I you, you kind of alluded to earlier and I, I want to kind of come back to is all this stuff that we're talking about here. I, I, I guess, what am I trying to say here? I heard an argument one time where um, somebody quoted the old, te- how did it go? Oh, somebody was, they were talking about like the death penalty or, or whatever the case may be. And, uh, oh man, what was it? Anyways, somebody, some, so I heard a Christian kind of like dis, make a disparaging comment about Moses because somebody quoted the whole eye for an eye thing. Yeah. Or whatever. Kind of like, well, that's what Moses taught. And I don't follow Moses. I follow Jesus. And I just thought that was kind of weird because I think. Uh, Jesus probably followed Moses. Like Jesus probably had some some good things to say about Moses. Probably held Moses in high regard, being being that he was a Jew and all. He said, "If you believe Moses, you would believe me." Right. Yeah. And so, uh, what did I write here? My point is, although there was no Talmud, my instinct is that Jesus was familiar with rabbinic teachings. 
I think that's probably fair. That's still yeah, definitely that's, that's still the point I'm trying to make. So, anyways, you were talking about this earlier, the idea of the law, the prophets, and the writings. Um, like I think I think we see in the New Testament that Jesus underwrites absolutely underwrites the Old Testament. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like although we're under a new covenant, that stuff still matters. Yes, that's you where know? it all came from. And so, um, in Luke twenty four forty four, actually, you want to turn over there real quick and read that. Luke twenty four forty four. So while you're doing that, I was watching this. I've mentioned this before. The ten minute Bible hour. <laughs> it's pretty good. Ten minute Bible hour. He talks a little bit about like why the, the books that made it into the Old Testament made it into the Old Testament, and so he proceeds to kind of explain how like the Old Testament as we know it as a book is not how it was. It was actually these like it was like three groups of scrolls, and he had like buckets, right? So there was the law, the prophets, and the writings. Mm-hmm. Is what he what. We were, I mean, we just discussed that, kind of referred right. to them. But it would have been more more than just three scrolls. I know it's more than three scrolls. I said it was yeah. like three buckets of yeah. scrolls. So yeah. three groups of scrolls. Yeah. Right? And so... Pay attention, Justin. Yeah, Justin, come on. I'm trying, okay. And so <laughs> he says the law... So the law would have been like Genesis, Genesis through Deuteronomy, right? right? First five books. And then there was the prophets would have been like Joshua, Judges, Samuel, King, the, both kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then the 12 minor prophets. That would have been the prophets. Mm-hmm. And then they had what they called the writings, or they might have also referred to as the Psalms. Why? Because Psalms was one of them. Yeah. But that would have been Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Solomon, Ruth, Lamentations, Esther, Ecclesiastes, Daniel, Ezekiel, Nehemiah, First and Second Chronicles. So wait, so Kings, did you say that Kings was included in the prophets? Yes. Huh. According to this guy. Kings was included in the prophets, but Chronicles included in the writings. I thought that both of those were in in the the writings in, in the writings. Well, but, chron- I mean, like I could easily be wrong about that. Like, so Chronicles was certainly in the in the writings, um, and 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 in the Jewish Old Testament, Chronicles is the last book, and so again, it's often referred to as the writings or the Psalms. Mm-hmm. And so in Luke twenty four forty four, we see it says what? Okay, Luke twenty four forty four says he said to them. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Yeah. Mm. And so, so he's he's talking about the whole shebang, the whole thing. So even though it might have been not been the Old Testament that we know or at least in the order that we know it, it's the same. Oh, it's all the same books. It's, it's all definitely the all books. the same books. <laughs> and so um you know, so so why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because we're talking about we're talking about work and this young man who's training to be a rabbi and how, despite him being educated, being being uh, being an, a candidate for being a rabbi, he was still re- required to have a trade. And so we're talking about this because we want to kind of understand the education system of a, somebody like that because it's the same education that somebody like Jesus would have had. <laughs> because. I mean, I think the assumption is that. I mean, I don't know. Did did he go through rabbinic training? Jesus, yeah. like, do we know that they I call mean, him rabbi? They did call him rabbi. Hey, and he's he's the carpenter's son, so it's obvious enough. Like what trade, trade? Yeah, what trade he would have learned. And I and I I also sort of doubt that a carpenter would have been poor. Yeah, yeah. like I, I don't I don't mean rich, but like blue collar. Mm-hmm. Or whatever color collars they had back then. <laughs> they didn't. They had robes. I guess he was a blue sash kind of worker. Blue sash kind of worker. I'm down with that. 
you know, because Jesus is always wearing a blue sash and right. flannel graphs. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, anyways, I just thought that was interesting to 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 again, like, uh, he he's a part of this this I guess religious tradition, mm-hmm. um, and and again, he absolutely underwrites everything that precedes him, you know, that we still recognize today in the Old Testament. Uh, I don't know if that's a good place to end. Maybe I'll say one more thing. Um, thing. Oh, <laughs> and uh, oh, that's what it is. And 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 why do we know that? Because, like you said, he had a trade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a carpenter. And so, also, n- nobody ever raised issue about his being a rabbi. Right. The Pharisees never said, "Wait a second, wait, wait, wait." We looked at this guy's credentials. Yeah. And he's definitely not a rabbi. He's just a carpenter. Nobody listened to him because he's a fake rabbi. Right. Well, my thing, okay, we were talking about all the different, you know, levels of education, the school, then you get your permission, you go for, you know, 12 to 30 is a big gap. Yeah. Was he following a rabbi, learning how to be a rabbi? I mean. Learning his trade? Yeah, that, that's actually. I, I know I like throwing out the, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that that's what's valuable about knowing what the situation was mm-hmm. yeah. back then. So I guess maybe what I'll, I'll finish off with here is kind of a teaser for next week. Is So there's this interesting section from the Talmud. It comes from Condition 29A. The Gemara comments, According to this interpretation, we learn in this Mishnah that that which the sages taught in Bereta, a father is obligated with regard to his son to circumcise him, and to redeem him if he is a firstborn son who must be redeemed by payment to a priest and to teach him Torah and to marry him to a woman and to teach him a trade. And some say a father is also obligated to teach his son to swim. (laughs) (laughs) I failed. (laughs) And so, um, man, like, I don't know if there are verses uh, in the Bible. Well, yeah, there must certainly be verses in the Old Testament that talk about the importance of well, working certainly. I don't know if it speaks specifically to having a trade, but again, I just think it's interesting that there are elements of this uh, maybe religious tradition and also maybe just this culture mm-hmm. of which he's a part of. And obviously, like we said, like he, and he was a carpenter, among other things. Yeah. So maybe just more evidence that there's something about work. And I'll bet Jesus wasn't a bad carpenter. I don't think so either. You know, like you'll hear the old... Uh, uh man, there's a comedian that talks about that. Like, who is it? Is it is it uh, Tim? What's his name? No, it's the guy. Uh, it's gonna. I almost said Tim Pool, but that's no. that's not a Christian comedian. Uh, it's gonna come to me. He's the guy who's in uh, like Super Troopers, and uh, he's the one that gets pulled over. Larry Johnson. Anyway, uh, it's probably not the best reference, but uh, yeah, listen, Super Troopers. Yeah. Uh, but he talks about. It, he's like, yeah, you know, Jesus. It's like you wonder. We gotta wonder. His neighbors thought like, hey. It's a good thing that rap that Messiah thing worked out. You should have seen the shed he built me or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like like it's funny to joke about, but my 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 thought is like he was a good carpenter. He's yeah. That's one of the things that comes through in the chosen in season one that I think is, is really good. Yeah, is that's just, like that the show that didn't last. No, no, it's still no. Right. It's oh yeah, it's it's going, yeah. it's yeah. going strong. Maybe I'm thinking about a different show. Though. Maybe, but I mean, think about it this this way, right? It's the one about Jesus. Think think about it in your think about a different one. Think about it in your own. <laughs> <laughs> think about it in your own job, though, right? Yeah. Like, <clears throat> man, I don't know. Maybe this won't be popular, but I've said this before because I've had guys like this where it's like, look, man, like, 
I know we're both Christians and, and all that, but like you're late for work all the time, <laughs> you know, like people aren't going to want to hear about Jesus from a person who doesn't show up for work on time and can't do their job, you know, at yeah. least, at least in my right. the community I work in. Right. I'm with you. And so I think it's kind of the same thing where it's like, yeah, uh, you're the Messiah. Cool. But like, I asked you to finish this table, you know, like, I think I think there's probably something to that. Right. Kind of like there's something to work. Maybe work. Well, yeah, maybe maybe you don't Oh, we're, we're trying to wrap this up. Maybe <laughs> maybe you maybe you don't need to work as a tent maker, but it'll probably go along you'll but but things will probably go along. It'll probably go a long way if you did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. We're starting to ramble a little bit. All right, Canaanites Canaanites. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next week where Justin picks up part 17 of his it's not saga. part 17. It's like part six. <laughs> are you, what are you continuing with? You want to tease that? You know, or final I, thoughts I, if you I, have any. I, I could tease it, but I, I think that I'll, I'll leave it for now. But, but where we were before was um, gold refined in the fire. Gold refined in the fire. And, and looking at the reward of the righteous. And if we haven't gotten there, did we talk about what religion really is and what it means? We haven't. We haven't. Okay. We're, that's, that's where we're going to be going. All right. I think since you're our guest tonight, you can do the. Usually, whoever doesn't lead has to do the prayer. But I think you get you can close us in prayer. How about that? Dan? I think All, I right. Can. All right. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we've had to come together to study your word, to discuss, and you know what our understandings are, and hopefully that we'll continue to learn from you, that we can reach out and help others. Uh, we just ask you to be with us till we come back again. Christ, only we pray. Amen. 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 <laughs>